Yep, yep, yep. Welcome, welcome, welcome one and all to the Red Bulletin Podcast, where we talk to top performers in the worlds of sports, adventure, culture, science, music, innovation, so many topics. We're not ones to discriminate, that's why. I'm your host, Andreas Georges. Uh, today's guest is probably one of the top snowboarders of all time, certainly of his era, in films such as That's It, That's All and The Art of Flight. Travis Rice um, not only showed audiences what's possible going down a mountain on a snowboard, uh, which is truly eye-opening stuff, but he also elevated the cinematic approach of sports documentaries. He's a game changer for sure, but um, you wouldn't know it talking to him. He's, he's a soft-spoken guy. He's well-spoken, but soft-spoken. Chooses his words carefully. He's very much a man who likes, uh, likes to stay in the background. Uh, which is difficult because his new film, The Fourth Phase, very much centers on him and his narrative as a seeker, uh, coming to terms with the fact that uh, seeking out the most remote parts of the mountain, going bigger, going higher than he's ever gone before, might not bring the fulfillment uh, that it always has. Remember, for more on Travis Rice, uh, you can check out the digital site, redbolton.com where there are some beautiful, stunning images from uh, the film. All right, we got an hour with him. Let's start the show. Travis Rice, thank you for being here. <laughs> my pleasure. I'm going to kick my shoes off here. Yeah, get comfortable. Stay a while. I got this nice rug. It's, it's a gorgeous rug. Um, first name James is a fan of Moroccan culture. Um, he travels to... Uh, North Africa frequently to select rugs for this room, so I'm glad you. I appreciate you it. Yeah, some people might just walk all over and not even acknowledge it. I'm taking my shoes off. Some um, chapeau to you, first name from <laughs> Travis Rice, one of the top snowboarders on the planet. Are we? We're rolling, aren't we? <laughs> Great way to start. You can see this is a really formal environment, so I want you to mind your p's and q's and. Uh, and be very focused, but actually, a um, lyric in uh, <clears throat> one of the tracks of our film, "Minding Your P's and Q's." Yeah, what kind of uh, <clears throat> music is that? It's like uh, it's kind of like soft rock <laughs> <laughs> that gets into some you know heartfelt, <clears throat> a little more true rock. I <laughs> it's just I want to see that transition. I want to hear. It. I want to. It's know uh, <clears throat> it's this uh, full song, "A Knife in the Ocean." Actually, great Foles, song. Foles are phenomenal. Yeah, and uh, it's the one lyric that I laugh at every time I hear it, though. <laughs> Mind your P's and Q's. I'm like, God, really? Okay, the rest of the song's epic. Uh, let's, let's, start in, uh, let's start in a place I know nothing about. Let's start in Jackson Hole. Um, in this film, as in your previous films, you've, you've really wanted to showcase that area. Why is that, why is that place so special? Why is that so important to you to showcase that? Um, you know, Jackson's kind of our constant. Right. It's like our baseline. Uh, I grew up there. I live there. We have family there. Um, and there's something, there's something special about being able to wake up in your own bed. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, our whole cruise base there, we, we do a lot of time on the road and you know, winter's winter short winter, relatively speaking, you know, we got about four months, four and a half months to film. And the fact that you know, we can stay home and film for a month, you know, six weeks. I think it allows us to keep our crew going full time. And there's an illusion that they actually have some quality time at home. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately is an illusion. What is it about the boarding there? You know, it's the beauty of Jackson is that a, it's, it's continental. So yeah. we're on the Rocky mountains. It's higher elevation. It's colder. Um, now what we gain with that is the fact that you can have uh, a high pressure window, uh, multiple days of sun and the snow stays good quality, literally a week, two, you can go two weeks without snowing and the snow still stays fantastic, which for us, we're always, you know, pretty hung up on snow quality. Yeah. Now beyond that, there's a plethora of, uh, backcountry access and, you know, we're trying to find areas that we more or less can be left to our own devices, right? That's why, honestly, it's why we don't film on resort. The, the primary reason we don't film on resort is because it's a shit show. 
and there's no way we would ever have the time to set up a shot, you know, take the time necessary without people just ripping through. Sure. And, you know, the films we make, you know, we want the settings to be somewhat dreamlike environments. And that means pristine snow. That means, you know, don't muck up the backdrop. And you just can't do that on the resort. So we need a backcountry setting. And the area around Wyoming, um, like I said, there's there's so much access into the mountains down there yeah. that we have these zones that we've spent, you know, decade or more trying to find, finding, you know, so we have our little secret sneaky ways in. Sure, yeah. Um, and pretty much have our own locations that we're set up to succeed and make things look pristine. Growing up there, was there um, ever a choice not to snowboard? Is this just something, is this something that everyone who grows up there is immediately drawn towards these mountains? You know, strangely enough, no. Uh, You know, I I think the biggest drawback to winter sports is that it takes some resources. Now, with a little bit of passion and will, there's always a way around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say everybody is, you know, everybody has the opportunity at one point. That's for sure. Um, you know, I grew up skiing. Uh, my dad was a ski patroller. So who, who introduced you to it? Yeah. Gonna... Yeah. Um, oh, I think my mom actually was the first one to get me on skis when I was like two or something. But, um, you know, I, I grew up skiing, grew up on skis. Don't remember the first time I skied. Right. And skied up until, you know, I was an early teenager. I was 12, 13 years old, finally able to, you know, start to make my own, <laughs> the illusion of making my own decisions. And, um, I really wanted to try snowboarding, it looked super fun and, you know, it was kind of torn cause I'd skied forever. You know, for me, skiing was, you know, walking second hand. Did uh, your parents want you to stick on skis? Was there like, uh, especially a dad <laughs> as a ski patrol, was there like a pride in having you continue on that? You know, I think a little bit, you know, there was kind of the unsaid, like, sure you want to do that? <laughs> uh, but I gave it a try. And I, and in the end, you know, for me, it was the simple, it was a simple aspect of, you know, I didn't really get much pleasure from just turning. It had to be an epic powder day. Otherwise it was just like walking down the street. Um, but when I started snowboarding and tried it out, it was actually a challenge to the simplicity of a turn. Like there was actually this, this kind of joy and thrill about getting the nuances of a turn dialed. And once started to be able to link turns, um, you, you know, really from then even to present day, yeah. like the art of the turn. I mean, snowboarding is asymmetric. It's, it's, it's a little more awkward. It's harder. But with that comes this kind of art form of leaning into a single rail turn. Do you feel a rhythm when you're doing it too? Yeah, absolutely. So the beauty of finding yeah, a rhythm with the turn is that, you know, you listen to a song and it, it usually stays to this, you know, like 4-4. Four, four. There's, there's somewhat, something consistent about sure, it. Sure, there's bars. There's, yeah. And while there are patterns, like Mother Nature is not consistent, right? And so you find rhythm, but the rhythm is spaced differently than, you know, a structured song. Because as you go down... You're playing with the topography. You're playing with the lay of the land. And so your rhythm is constantly in flux. And is there, when you go, you know, we'll, we'll jump back, but, you know, because we're on this subject, when you're going to these areas where you're, you're seeing the topography from a helicopter, um, is there such a thing then as like, you know, total topographical recall or something as you're going down or or how do you from from looking out from not being on the mountain ever uh from that being your first time how do you how do you make those decisions um well first off i might steal that it's a great uh it's a great film name topographical recall that's right (laughs) uh it's you get really good at eyeing things up getting like a you know, a flashcard, a little mental photo. You can read it really quickly. Yeah. I mean, been trying to do it for how long, right? So you get good (laughs) through trial and error. You you get better. Um, It's always different. You know, you see something from the air that there's things you just don't see. Uh, We constantly find ourselves uh, befuddled with (laughs) trying to get this right. Um, It definitely is something, you know, all of our lines, everything we ride, um, we are rarely winging it. 
you know, we always are doing the homework, doing the, you know, putting the time in to really focus on where we're going. If we're in a helicopter, that usually means we're trying to ride terrain that has some exposure, has uh, some dangerous elements to it. And, you know, getting your line wrong is something that you can't really do because oftentimes there'll be only one or two ways down, right? And so you need to nail it. And it's all about when you scope your line from afar, um, it's picking out uh, landmarks, like little landmarks and monuments, things that as you go down, uh, we call these blind rollovers. You have a lot of blind rollovers. So, you know, you can see 20 feet in front of you, but after that, you can't see anything. You just see the bottom of the valley. But do you remember what you saw from the from the helicopter then, or do you? You, you focus on on uh, on sections, right? So you know that blind rollover, right? That's like a landmark. Now you 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 basically remember that landmark, and then you let go of going of any type of fear of going over it. And once you go over it, you find your next landmark. So that's that's more or less how how it works. It's all about these like landmarks, and you're making constant adjustment throughout. But that I imagine is just ingrained. That's muscle memory at this point. Yeah, it's it, that that that's the beauty that we're trying to find up there, right? Is this like you know people call it flow state? It's trying to find that flow when you're not having to like cognitively compute. You know, it's something you've done so much that you're just it's this action reaction. Yeah. Um, you know, back to the whole music thing, right? It's like any type of artist when they're in stride, when they're in like that flow where they're just, you know, creatively expressing themselves. And it's like a different type of language. It's actually much better than, than this, right? It's like trying to communicate to each other through words, (laughs) you know, it's like, sure. Yeah. The whole, um, you know, two parts removed. So that's really what we're after trying to ride big lines, for example, up in Alaska, most of the snowboarding is getting into that rhythm where it's just action reaction. Um, you know, I, to kind of back it up into our process. Yeah. Usually we come in, um, we look, we analyze, this is more kind of a, an Alaskan approach. You look at the face, you figure out where your exits are, you figure out where the kind of dangers are, um, your escapes, and then you figure out your landmarks as you go down, you know, how you're going to be able to stay, um, on target with what you're riding. Right. You get to the top, you know, assess it out, feel the snow. Um, how much energy is there at that top? Is it, is it nervousness? Is it, you know, a lot of athletes like yourself are describe a process of controlling fear at that point or trying to. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing where you kind of, that's where you got to make fear your ally. Um, because fear is not a bad thing, right? I mean, it's there to keep us alive. The the primal fear that is, um, is there for a reason. I'm, I'm, I love it. <laughs> you gotta love it. And it's times like that going to like an Oscar and that it's, it's like an old friend that, you know, you're embracing again, yet you guys have a little bit of a, you know, there's something there. So you got to embrace it, but you know that you give each other space and respect. Can you can you remember just to continue that metaphor? Can you can you remember <laughs> the first time you met that friend, like when you're you're on your board and really in a in a fearful state or in a state where you're like, okay, this is this is bigger than anything I've done before. You know, it probably wasn't until at least this like relationship. It probably wasn't until I started going to Alaska for the first time. Really? I mean, because you were throwing crazy airs at the age of fifteen. I mean, that's you know, it's, one of your mentors talks about how. I mean, the the word that everyone, us lay people, would use is fearless. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely not fearless. If I was fearless, I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, I have a I have a healthy and respectful relationship with my fear. Sure, yeah. <clears throat> um, it is. It's like a, it's an old friend. It's like a brother. Um, I respect it. Right. And I think. I guess, you know, bringing it back to, it's just different. Like, so, you know, standing, getting ready to drop into, you know, do some trick over some gap, uh, something that's like of consequence, 
where there is angst and butterflies. Yeah, it it is similar in the sense, but it's much more like this mind over matter, you know, visualize, believe in yourself. Um, and I guess those principles do apply to, say, riding something in Alaska. Um, yeah, th- it's the same process of, you know, visualization, right? You run the thing over and over in your head. You convince yourself that you can do it. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. <laughs> right. Like, right. You tell yourself you got it. Um, you kind of let doubt wash out. And then for me, it's crucial to always let it all go. Like, you know, 10 seconds or so, 15 seconds before I drop in, you know, you're thinking, you're thinking, you're analyzing, you're you're doing all these, uh, (laughs) little geometric equations right in your head, but then you got to let it all go. And you got to clear your mind because if you drop in with all that, you know, you're still in your head. And so that last, like, you know, couple big breaths, let everything go is kind of to try to bring that angst and that energy from, you know, your kind of cranium and throat, upper chest, kind of try to bring it back down into like your stomach. Because the stomach helps control you better physically, you think, or because it it just, it just is, uh, it's a, it's, I guess it's a more of a place of certainty, right? You know? Because you always, guess you you always call second your gut, guess yourself. Right? That's your yeah. gut. <laughs> Bring it back down into the gut instinct. Wow, interesting. Into your gut reaction. Because in your head, you're always you're always going to second, sure. second guess. And, yeah. And so it's trying to drop it back down. And that's what a couple big breaths for me helps me do. Yeah. Bring it down and then you drop in. Because that information, all that analysis that you've done in your head, it, it doesn't leave you. It's still there. It just isn't on the forefront. And therefore, it doesn't dominate your course of action down the. Yeah, it lets you. It lets you kind of. Re- let you revert back into this like. Start you know, your solos. Gut. Start your <laughs> your monologue. Whatever it is that you're doing on the mountain. Yeah. Did um, you always? Did you always seek? You know, uh, you you talk a lot about being a seeker in this film. Um, when did that begin for you? Um, you know the the idea of going off the piece, going off out of, you know, parks, terrain parks, that sort of thing on these resorts and really, you know, looking in the far off distance <laughs> saying, I, I want to go down that. I think it started for me at a, at a young age. I mean, my, my father was also a, uh, in the summer, he was like fly fishing, kind of backpacking guide. Um, and so we were always doing, you know, adventuring some some level whether it's like you know multiple overnights floating down rivers or you know I, I would work for him in the summer when I got a little older uh, they do pack trips and I was able to be the llama boy I'd lead the llama train what an honorable take care of him what an honorable job <laughs> still one of my favorite jobs of all time why why is that it was just so simple you know you you were the caretaker of these um you know, beautiful, majestic, honorary, stinky creatures <laughs> that spit at you. Um, but the simple task of like taking care of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was great. And so I, <laughs> and they appreciated you. They did. Yeah. In they, a way that humans might not always. Yeah. By the end of the trip, you know, yeah. they knew that I was the one responsible for their food and water. And right. right. They gave me respect and started to <laughs> That's good. You gotta spit earn, on other people. You got to earn it. You got to earn it. So, and so I think, you know, Going into the backcountry, um, you know, was just a, a product of a lifetime of kind of adventuring, right? Um, and with what we're looking for, you know, we're looking for these geological oddities, all right? We want weird. Weird is good. Um, and so you're constantly looking for weird because the weirder, the better. And you spend enough time you know, in the mountains, constantly looking for strange features and topography to play on. You know, you, you see these glimpses of weird at its finest, and they're usually very few and far between, but you know they exist. And so you continue to, like, keep looking and knowing that if, if there's this small little example yeah. of, like, weirdness and its perfection, um, you know, it, it's... You, there is more <laughs> out there, and so, and so, ultimately, it's trying to find these topographical oddities 
that are aligned with several other elements, such as the right amount of snowpack, you know, the right elevation for temperature, and, you know, protection from wind. Right. Um, so th- there's all these factors that have to line up. And it's kind of the search for these weird... And is it is it is it because those look more stunning visually, or is it... I mean, is it this, you know, so many of us now uh, don't, you can cough freely if you wish onto into the microphone. So, um, so many of us, you know, go out into nature uh, looking for solitude, looking to disconnect. Um, many would interpret what you're doing as, you know, wanting to be the first, you know, I want to be the first to go down this. Is there, which of the two is it, or am I completely off? Is it, is it trying to find solitude? Is it trying to be the first or is it something completely different? Just curiosity. It's the fact that we as snowboarders find that, you know, it, it's creative expression really. And it's, it's interpretation of how to ride the mountain. And when you, you know, ride a planar, beautiful, flat mountain face. Uh, it's fantastic. You can work on the nuances of how you turn, but you know, really, the the weirder it gets, the more you have to interpret. And so it's it's these strange perversions of landscape that provide this uh, puzzle that you have to pick apart, and and th- that's what really love about the weird factor now the solitude aspect you know that's uh, that's one of the reasons everyone loves within my world to go into the backcountry it's because it, it it isolates you and a couple of usually <laughs> your dearest friends individuals to get together and exist and experience and problem solve and co-create and so it's that magic of being <laughs> separated out and having to do things as a small group. You prefer being a part of a band than a solo artist. Absolutely. Yeah. Why is that? To share, to witness each other. Yeah. Um, you have a you have a fantastic line. Um, there's something amazing about being around someone who's gone somewhere they've never anticipated going. <laughs> That's from the that's from the from the fourth phase. Um, expand on that a bit. Well, I think you know sharing uh, human growth, and uh, you know as individuals, as you know, I'm in my own <laughs> life all the time. I'm constantly presented with you know things that I'm not comfortable doing, right? Like this podcast. Like this podcast, <laughs> um, and. You know, it's so easy to just, you know, walk away or, nah, it's cool. I'm, I'm good. I don't do that. It's not my thing. Um, because deep down, there's like this fear. There's this deep-rooted fear in so many of us with, you know, getting it wrong or you know, looking like an idiot, humiliation, embarrassment. And the willingness to try always you always get something out of it. Um, even if it's not positive, you're still going to get something good out of it. And I have done a lot of the going into that uncomfortability. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm good at snowboardings because I went there at one point and I think it's amazing to witness someone move past, you know, to basically just say, fuck it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh and give it a try. Yeah. It's it's just like letting go, right? Is it something you lose when you get older, by the way? I was talking to someone in the, um this uh musical artist, this guy Paul Banks and um for another story I was doing and he was talking about how he picked up surfing at 32 mm-hmm. and he just got worked for two and a half weeks and um and he said how wonderful it was to suck at something again. Yeah. Amen. Um, I mean, that's just it. And, you know, in the film, that reference of, you know, it's great to be with someone who's just done something that they didn't anticipate doing. Um, I think, you know, whether it's your first time or whether it's something you've done your whole life, 
but maybe didn't think you were capable of it. Right. Um, I, I, I've lived a life where I've had an incredible breakthroughs doing that. And then, you know, being with friends and being with people that I ride with, knowing that they're capable of it, they just don't see that. And yeah, I, I, for me is almost maybe nothing more rewarding than being with somebody yeah. and like helping them into this place. They didn't know that they could go. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's, uh, I don't know if ringmaster at a circus is the right, maybe that's too frivolous a, a description of it, but, um, this idea of you matching up, um, snowboarders with, with mountains, um, that they've never kind of ridden before to, to showcase different sides of their skill set that maybe not even they saw, um, that's, that's a thread in the film. And I think that's really, that's really interesting, you know, that it's, it's about as much about your people really as it is about you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, the tough thing about a movie like this, right? Cause <clears throat> set out for this film to be about like, not just me, but also my people, <laughs> right? <laughs> my, my brothers in arms, this, you know, the fellows that I look up to that I ride with. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they're they're well portrayed in the film, but it's always tough when the film at this final stages narrows its focus. Yeah. The film's about these places we go, these people that we're with. But uh, don't you think your life is interesting <clears throat> enough to merit? I mean, I think I'm the wrong guy to ask about that. <laughs> um, look, if it were up to me, which it's probably good that it's not, uh, you know, this film would be much more equally distributed you know yeah. i want to know more about pat moore i yeah. want to know more about Mickelbang. Yeah. you know i want to know about the process that shimbiajima our japanese snowboarder has um and unfortunately there's just not enough time right yeah you'd like it to be and also with travis rice <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean look i i i i <clears throat> i created and ideated this this journey that we go on and I was lucky enough to have the uh, privilege of inviting these other guys on these trips. And I, I do that because I'm a huge fan of, of all the other guys who are in this film. Um, they're all dynamic and unique humans in their own way. I love them all very much. Uh, so maybe that's the next chapter. Yeah. Um, there's a there's an, there's a couple of well there's tons of interesting lines um, in the film but uh, talking about your friends continuing on that um, there's there's a, a line at one point that you know you don't stop and until you get what you want um, so what is it that you want I want an idea to go from nothingness to somethingness. And, you know, aren't we here to, like, create sure, but, and to show and to share? Sure, but we, we, set, we set up a couple of microphones on this, you know, goodwill <laughs> table here. Um, sorry, first name. And, uh, <laughs> and you, you seek it out on the grandest canvas available. I think it's just, you know, it's something that's been progressive. It's something that I've done for so long, and you get comfortable doing doing it one way and you want to take it a little further and you want to take it a little further and this idea of applying you know as we go through life we we gain these tools of experience and you know we're so good at you know on the fly taking these tools of experience and applying them to the next you know endeavor sure, that we yeah. set out on yeah 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 and ultimately to keep it interesting uh to keep it challenging it's it's it evolves into these you know a little bit further a little bit bigger a little bit harder yeah um trying to prove that <laughs> mind over matter you know you can do this yeah yeah it just progresses it sounds taxing yeah yeah it is is. <laughs> is it satisfying or is it taxing it's it's incredibly satisfying um it's incredibly satisfying um comma but, but it's incredibly satisfying and at a certain point um, you realize that it's linear. You realize that it it has no end. It's like this reciprocal loop that 
it just continues for as long as you want it to continue. And I think at a certain point it gets to a place of, you know, what is the point? When did you hit that point? I'm still trying to hit it. <laughs> um, you know, for some time now, I think, uh, I think through making this film, uh, the realization, you know, first rose quite a, quite a long time ago as in, you know, cause I've been driven to explore and yeah, I've, I've been a seeker for quite some time. And, um, I think at a certain point, you know, realized that, you know, that early innocent, you know, open-minded, open, you know, hearted exploration, um, had shifted into a little bit more of a escape, right? A little bit more sure. of a, you know, I could deal with, <laughs> I could deal with the, <clears throat> the blandness of, you know, answering emails and doing this, <laughs> the, <laughs> the mediocre madness of my day to day. And, you know, or I could go and do something a little more exciting. And so, yeah, I became a little bit of a escapist. Was was there ever a point when you could have just had a day job, like at the very beginning, or was it was this always the goal? And and when did you realize this was the goal? By the way, when did you realize you could make a living off of this? Well, I, I actually, you know, I didn't realize that I was going to be a snowboarder till quite late. It was something I was. I love doing. I was really passionate about it. And what jobs were you working? Uh, I was doing construction in the summer. Okay, <laughs> I was doing construction in the summer so I could afford to do some travel in the winter. And you know, beyond that, I was really interested into in like the you know natural sciences and animals. And I was getting like summer credits doing like marine biology stuff. And oh, nice! Um, I got to I'll- spend a summer like under a master falconer. Um, super ornithology for a while so i thought yeah, i was gonna go on, sorry a, uh, sorry a master falconer <laughs> yeah like a like like yeah, with, old with medieval times birds falconer yeah. oh yeah what do you what do you learn from a master falconer you learn uh patience <clears throat> you learn that uh your needs do not come first right um it's about being a caretaker for the birds and uh, the and which you liked given your yeah, your, your uh, pack, it was incredible. Pack these animal <laughs> experience, obviously, but yeah, these majestic, you know, creatures that it, it's it's so you know whatever you watch Discovery Channel, mm. you know, you see photos of these yeah, animals, it's and, and and it's incredible. Right? It's a regal sport too. It's one of the oldest you, kind you, of sports. I feel. Oh yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's hunter gather. You yeah, know, it goes back to like all right, yeah. you need some rabbit meat. Yeah, it's, it takes a lot of time to yeah. sneak up on these little these little bastards and get them with a rock. I could just have this, you know, bird that I train just yeah. goes out and nails them, you know, every time. So delivery service. It's uh, I don't know. What, what do you learn? It's it's a it's a job of service. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I just it it seems very atypical. I I guess I don't know where you would have falconers in the united states and they're they're around it's uh what do they do like what are these this is a bit of a side note but what are they just because i'm really curious (laughs) like what why like why exactly um i think it's i think it's this beautiful relationship with uh you know with the wild that is mother nature i mean uh, most of the time it's totally wild birds um you know you would uh trap them train them the summer and release them and you know the whole time they're they're free they're free to fly away if they want um it's like city college yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like you're kind of committed but there's no yeah. scholarship money so it's not like you have to go but yeah what do they learn in that summer uh you know everything to hunt how to live um i think it's something that it's it's just this deeper relationship you know i mean we have a pet right and yeah, I'm sure some people have amazing relationships with their pet, but it's still like it's kind of like your pet, sort of your property, kind of. And this is more of a relationship with like a, a truly wild creature. Yeah, yeah, you're constantly. That's an interesting through line, isn't it? In your life, this constant, this constant desire to 
um, understand the magnitude of what nature is and our relationship with nature. Yeah, our relationship with nature, our our, our place here on the planet, <laughs> sure. Constantly, and and by snowboarding down mountains, how do you get closer to that? Well, you know the the snowboarding aspect is kind of just the the vessel, right? It's just the tool. It's the allowance to be able to spend the time um, outdoors, right. spend the time being able to you know go into the eye of these storms and see, you know, nature at its rost yeah at least in the cold weather perspective right <laughs> there's avalanches as well sure there was an avalanche in this one there there was several um inevitably you know we spend so much time up in the mountains and i mean it's first it's full time right so storms come storms go often we're waiting with open arms for for the storm yeah and then it's always this delicate dance after the storm to, you know, you kind of hanging on the outskirts waiting for the snow to settle, waiting for stuff for to like, yeah, yeah, you know, step yeah, back. And, yeah. and it's always trying to find that edge of when, you know, when it's too early, when we need to, you know, give it a day. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a relationship. Do you push less nowadays than you used to? Um, I would say... No, especially when it comes to this film, filmmaking. Because going out and writing f- for myself, unfortunately, is totally different than going out and trying to make a film. Don't don't think that's you can escape that. No, you know, it's just a lot more involved, right? Yeah, it's two different approaches. Right, it really is. And as much as you know, we make the film and try to make the film representative of what you know our our process and our approach as if it wasn't the film you know it's kind of like yeah you know quantum science like just Don't by simply observing cameras yeah <laughs> by observing it you you change it right 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 what happened on that day where the avalanche caught you um yes yeah, so if you see the film um i get clipped by an avalanche spoiler alert towards the end <laughs> um right. and yeah it was a well, basically what what happened that day was we had a little bit of snow uh, the day before and we went and rode in one part of the range that morning and, you know, started out slow, but, you know, we were seeing about two inches, two to three inches of new snow and it wasn't very well connected. So you get these little pockets that would break out, but not enough snow to really, you know, be a a red flag uh, for us anyways not enough snow to to kind of call it. So we had a great morning riding, you know, went. Uh, this is in Alaska. This right? is up in Alaska. Yeah. Right, right. This is up in Valdez. Then in the evening, uh, flew to a different part of the range, maybe about only about five miles away. Um, but up there, when you're on the coast, uh, it's so aspect, um, you know, the aspects and and it's, relationship to how close it is to the water or if it's part of the front range which gets the weather first or if you know it's the back range where it's much drier because the snow's already been forced out of the clouds Mm -hmm. and so we went uh, a little bit more towards the front range and you could see there had been some natural activity Um, once again it was looking about the same like three inches and I selected a line some stuff that we had looked at a couple days before it was with Victor De La Rue up there Victor had a little more straightforward line, um, a little less consequence. And, you know, we got up there, decided on our lines. He wrote his first and didn't really get anything to move. Um, and, you know, my line, I, I thought, yeah, there was a chance that upon my landing of this trick I was going to try, um, I could have a panel break out. But by then, I have speed and you can get, have exits. Somehow and, get yourself out of yeah. it. Right. And so I, I dropped in, and um, upon takeoff, which I didn't expect, oh, what do you know? I didn't expect it, right? Um, the whole slope just propagated, and uh, in that area, it, there was more about you know eight inches of snow, um, eight to maybe ten inches, versus this like two to three that we've been dealing with in the morning. And you know, but bottom line, just kind of underestimated 
a classic flaw, you know. It, it wasn't one incident. It was a couple. You know, I underestimated it. I chose a line that had a secondary exposure in it, um, which, which which means <clears throat> which means there's a cliff at the okay. bottom okay. that you need to ride out around. Okay. And so, you know, the face propagated, which means yeah, uh, avalanche. This yeah. top snow released, and tried to ride out of it. Had plenty of speed to do so, but then I just kind of got closed out uh, by some rocks and had a yeah. bad exit. Yeah. And so I got dragged in and taken down over the cliff. Um, you know, not not necessarily enough snow uh, to bury me, but just the, the impact alone. You know? is, it, is it like, you know, <clears throat> surfing where you get held down? Um, it's, it's not like a hold down. It's more like a, it's kind of like a, like a zinful bar fight. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's, you know, whatever. You're just dealing with it. It's a slow motion thing, it, it, and you're when you're in the middle of it. I can imagine that. Yeah, there's some time dilation yeah. that goes down. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for me, it was just the projection over the cliff. You know, it was just the the impact that that got me. You know, probably doing a hundred feet to some pretty hard snow wow. under your side. That was that was the brutal aspect of it. Was there a lasting injury from that, or? Um, no, I think I beat myself up about as much as you possibly could without, psychologically um or physically well physically oh okay yeah. um i'm sure yeah no there's some psychological trauma there for sure but uh you know physically beat yourself up about as much as you can without having any type of you know serious injuries right right um was it uh what were the after effects of that were you mentally was it let's take a break from this or was it this just happens you know let's go on i mean you're you're so experienced in the mountains um even the way you described what just happened using you know geological scientific terms you know i mean these are these are things this is revealing of someone who calculates who thinks who who plans you know was there nevertheless gut check it, it there was a moment of there was a moment of uh you know, frustration and anger that I allowed myself to get in that situation, right? Sure. Um, but then followed very closely by a moment of gratitude. Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, joy at that, at this, you know, beautiful thing. I, I chose to see it as this beautiful thing, this like amazing lesson that I was handed down and it being a fantastic opportunity to step back for a moment and take inventory. Um, you know, we were planning on going on this super uh, immersed camping trip that we've been planning for quite some time up there. And so this happened prior to us, you know, thinking we were going to go do this trip. In this area called So Far Gone, right? This area Which is like, okay. called So Far Gone. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm trying to live translate. <laughs> and, uh, and so this happened prior to it. So honestly, I looked at it as this, this, this gift of, <laughs> um, you know, this gift, this reminder from the mountains, like take this with you into your next trip. Uh, and you know, uh, I mean, learn from it or, Oh, for sure. Learn from it. But, um, but not only that, like just a, yeah, a, a beautiful reminder of, of the, you know, raw forces that exist that we're, you know, constantly trying to dance around out there. Um, you know, we have a big crew and we have a lot of people on the mountain, especially in a, you know, camp situation where everyone's hiking, everyone's walking. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of exposure. And so, you know, for us, it's like important. The most important element is getting people to home at the end of the day, make sure, you know, make sure everyone stays safe. And so for me, that experience was this, this gift of, okay, bring this with you on your next <laughs> journey, um, to keep everyone out of harm's way to make good decisions. 
that's yeah that's uh that's absolutely the takeaway i think um you you talked about in that that last section you talked about the uh you know being reminded of how raw the environment is um your other great passion is sailing that's also a through line in this film um on your beautiful catamaran in the in tahiti i believe it is like in the south seas that <clears throat> in the south yeah, yeah basically from yeah do you encounter that same rawness that same yeah elemental nature and and at sea as you do in the mountains yeah absolutely i mean it's there you know any place that you have any place that you have a overwhelming a majority uh you know water or snow for that matter yeah um you know where the where the human hand has not caressed or abused <laughs> yeah i was going to say it's probably the, the latter but the, yeah. t- the topography something there's something special about those those areas on the planet why was it important for you to show sailing in this one well the sailing element is further showcasing you know this water cycle and that's really what this film taps into is looking at this bigger process um and with that it was primarily on the shoulders of the north pacific gyre that we were after and you know a big aspect of it is so the north pacific gyre is there's gyres all over the world in uh, all the major oceans and it's just a a series of ocean currents that spins that segment of ocean um usually it's it's broken by the equator and due to the rotation of the earth the coriolis effect and um the difference between uh the temperature gradients mm-hmm. really are a huge driver and so um you know it, it, we look at it as the greatest solar engine on the planet and it's that heat energy that helps fuel all the storms that we get in here in North America. Sure. Yeah. And so that's really what we were looking at. And, and sailing was a part of kind of rolling with that water yeah. as it gains energy, as it, as it's a battery, right? right? So tracing it. Yeah. Tracing this path. Yeah. And so being out on the ocean in this kind of far removed environment from what we're uh, constantly in in yeah. the mountains yeah it, it it just it's this like parallel that doesn't seem similar at all but it, it's actually so similar and if i might say you um you seem really at peace out there um you know when you see in this film and, and in previous films when you're out in the mountains you you see that drive you know you see you seeking looking well how about here what about there um the sailing you know you on a sailboat you're gazing, <laughs> you know, there's a lot gazing. of, there's a lot of pen, pensive moments. There's a lot of thought, like, is it, what does that give you? What does it provide you? I mean, look, it's, you're forced, you're forced into slowing down. You're forced into dealing with, um, all the inputs that you have at that single time and just keeping a boat going at its very slow speeds, um, the wind's constantly shifting, the weather's constantly moving, and you are just a caretaker captaining this this boat. Right. And there's something beautifully simple about that. Yeah, yeah. Do you find it more there than you do on land? Um, the the spans of there's just you're moving slow across a huge planet. And when you're doing, say, blue water crossings, it's it's very different than being on land. Because sure. on land, you know, you have There's all your markers. Yeah. You, you got yeah. cell service. Right, you, got, right. you got all of the all the things that you have to deal with all the time. I know if we drive over that mountain, we're going to get there in whatever time, you know, or mm-hmm. we have to take that or we pass that earlier. That means we're this far away. Whereas open water is yeah. open water, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really just similar to, you know, probably camping. Right. 
um, camping in a cold water, a cold weather climate. Right. Right. Cause then once again, you're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with survival. You've yeah. got chores. You're exposed. Yeah. 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 So yeah, there's, there's parallels. Um, the, the final third, um, really like the final third of this film for me really emphasizes like this, this journey that you've been on and you know, the, the stock that you've taken. Um, is this what you wanted to show? Why, why was this one meant to be different? Why was this film meant to be different than that's it? That's all, uh, the art of flight, you know, these, these films that, that your audiences come to expect uh, in which your audiences come to expect massive, spectacular displays of athleticism on a mountain. I, I look the the last two films, the <clears throat> which were the Art of Flight and also That's It, That's All. Those two films, we felt we we kind of we, we did that. We did a really good job of you know bringing you know crazy cinematography with incredible locations. You know the aerials, being able to immerse people and bring them along you know, for the ride. And after making the art of flight, you know, we, we, I, I didn't feel the need to spend years to, to remake that movie again. Um, and I felt with our crew, our team, you know, we, we were ready to try something a little bit more challenging. Right. Um, you know, we had intentions to bring some elements that are in the current film, but ultimately, you know, with a documentary style process like this, you know, we didn't know where, where the end of this movie was going to take us. You know, we didn't know that we were going to get shut down from being able to go out and do this camping trip in this amazing area up in Alaska. You know, we, we thought we had three years, it was going to be enough. Um, so we had these goals and we had, I think, principles we wanted to touch upon, but we definitely didn't know how the film was going to turn out. At what point? That's the challenge of that is that you don't insist on those goals, right? Um, you you let the film take you where it takes you. Were you able to do that? I think our crew was able to do that. I mean, there was no other choice, right? Right. Right. Um, and I think, you know, we tried to chase some storyline elements in the previous two films but i think that it didn't work because it was too rigid it wasn't flexible enough and coming and working the past three years on the fourth phase i think it was these overarching goals were flexible enough to to handle you know what in in the end uh went down yeah to what extent do you think of audience in this do you, I mean, do you just create to create in, in a certain sense, you know? Um, I know this was a very much more personal one. Or do you think, oh, you know, we got to have something in there for the core. We got to have um, something that, that appeals to, to, to these, these, this community that, that you've grown up and uh, grown up in. I, I think we, we don't think too much about how the outside world perceives it. We more rely on how we we'd like to see it. Right. Um, and it's been a tough process cause we're very, you know, core centric, how we look at things. Sure, and this yeah. film definitely, I think further. Yeah, but you're not, I don't, I don't, I don't know about your friends cause I haven't met, met them, but like you're, you obviously think in a completely different way than, you know, uh, you think beyond just core. It seems you think far more about your, your places in this in this world that that you inhabit, not just the snowboarding world, but the greater natural world. Well, and here's the tricky thing, because I do come from a core mentality, but I also come from a core mentality that I've I've been in it for so long. You know, I've been whatever watching snowboard videos since I was like twelve. So um, I've been in it for so long that you 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 want something more. You need something more. Yeah. You just need something more, and but you still hold those those core principles. And so I guess when I say I'm, I'm you know, I do come from this kind of core mentality. Um, I think to put the core mentality in this box 
and and label it just this oh, all you want is just <laughs> yeah you know hard music and just action right uh, it's not the case at all that's not the case no it's what, not the what case is it what is it then how is that misrepresented in your mind well, I think it's misrepresented because it's it just takes <laughs> to 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 create um to create these you know films or shows or what whatever it is it just takes a lot more time and effort and thought i mean it's there's a formula for like you know simple core just the writing right. and i think that you know one thing that the core does well is they live it right so they they appreciate the simplicity of you know a film that just is it's good music and it's good writing but then they go and they live the whole experience they don't have to be told about this like oh but it's so much more than just that right 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 um so i think that's like the missing link and you want to get that across to people you want people to understand that you don't want to keep it for yourself or for your group well yeah i mean when i went into this project um trying to <laughs> trying to allow an honest thing to come out of it which has been it's been a tough i mean it's been a taxing and challenging process this whole film uh it's been beautiful i mean being able to film it and go out on these locations with like our good friends and our team has been amazing um but you know ultimately the toughest part is like having to wrap it there's there's some really great names in your sport. There's there's uh, and and they all kind of seem to. I don't know. I I feel like they they assume you know different roles as you know you, you talk about a guy named Terry Hawkinson who's like you know amazing Norwegian snowboarder right Norwegian oh yeah yeah uh, 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 the Picasso on the slopes um, and the backcountry um, who's you know, really come out against snowboarding in the Olympics, uh, kind of the conscience of the sport. You have a guy like Jeremy Jones, who, who's heavily involved in Protect Our Winters, uh, which is an environmentalist group. Um, we're, what's, what's the legacy you want to leave behind? That's a good question. That's why I saved it for last. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> the legacy I want to leave behind. I don't know. I'm still is, working on Is that. it the filmmaking? <laughs> Um, is it this, is it trying to reach, is it trying to get the wider world to understand what you so appreciate about this? I think that if anything, it's trying to share how I see snowboarding. I see snowboarding as such this multi-dimensional, you know, thing that it's so much more than, you know, guys doing triple corks in the Olympics. Uh, it's so much more than even you watch our film. It's so much more than just, you know, us like, you know, out in the back country, like pushing against weather and, you know, hitting these jumps, riding these big lines. It's, it's, it's a lot more than that. And I think if anything, you know, with, through the films that we've tried to do, you know, want to, wanting to portray this really appealing thing that comes out of snowboarding. That snowboarding allows you to get into the mountains. It allows you to go out with friends and share intimate experiences, real experiences. And that, I think, if I can help portray that, because that's what I got out of snowboarding. Yeah. And I would just, I try my hardest to pass that on, to kind of pay it forward in the sense where snowboarding has done a lot for me. And if I can, you know, through these films or say a contest that we do spark a little bit of interest, um, to go try that or beyond even just snowboarding, just to go, <laughs> go find yourself out in nature for a little bit. Um, yeah, I think everyone in the end wins. All right. Travis, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It was really interesting. Yeah, thanks for your time. All right. <laughs> thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Don't that feel real funky, y'all? Travis Rice, thank you very much. Tough man to pin down that, Travis, especially in the final weeks of editing the fourth phase. But boy, was it worth the wait. Um, 
Thank you to our engineer, first name James, as always the first name in podcasting. Our producer is T. Rizza from the shores of Nueva Jersey with massive assists from J.K. It's Jess and Momo. Thank you one and all. Thank you for listening. Head on over to redbulletin.com for more beautiful words, beautiful pictures. I uh, hope you join us next time. Thanks a lot. <laughs>